All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it. Social distancing means we're living in a world of virtual things, virtual museums, virtual hangouts, and now even virtual libraries. The Internet Archive, home of hundreds of thousands of video songs and documents from far back as 1900, now has a new lending policy where you can borrow thousands of books online, no waitlist necessary. It's called the National Emergency Library. On one hand, it's making books available for students and researchers during the pandemic. On the other hand, is the material theirs to give away? And is free distribution of books online even legal? My guest is Timothy B. Lee, a tech writer for Ars Technica and formerly at Vox.com and the Washington Post. His most recent piece, An Online Library is Venturing into Uncharted Legal Waters, covers this debate and is featured in Wired. Timothy, welcome to all of it. Hi, thanks for having me on. Let's get some basics down. What is the Internet Archive? The Internet Archive is an online library. It's probably best known for running the Internet's Wayback Machine. If you want to know what a particular website looked like 5 or 10 or 15 years ago, um, they have a search engine where you can see cached copies. But they've also, for about a decade, they've had a book scanning project where they scanned uh, more than a million books now. I think they've got 1.4 million books under copyright and uh, a bunch more in the public domain and um, offered those for um, people to access online. So who runs it? Is it a nonprofit? Yes, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization, um, philanthropically uh, supported, I believe. It's, it's based in California. And when did it start? Uh, the, um, the organization was started by a guy named Brewster Kale, who was a uh, dot-com entrepreneur in the 1990s. And um, he was one of the first people to realize that you could kind of download the whole Internet, um, you know, download all the web pages. And so he started um, with this uh, Wayback Machine, he started making copies of a bunch of web pages. Um, but he really sees, he has a broader vision, I think, of um, kind of being a universal internet library for um, all types of media. He also does videos and, and audio files and, and so forth. So what was its pre-pandemic policy? So before the pandemic, what I think they were trying to do is really mimic the behavior of a physical library. So they have a warehouse full of books that various people have donated to them or that they've purchased. They've scanned them all, and then they had a checkout policy where you could go to the website, you could get an account, and then if nobody else had checked out a particular book, you could quote-unquote check it out, meaning um, download a time-limited copy, either look at it as a web browser or an e-reader, and you could read it, and then when you were done, you would check it back into the library, and it would become available to everybody else. Um, But there were limits. Only if if they only had three copies of the book in their warehouse, only three people could read the book at the same time. So what changed in the policy? I I alluded to it in the intro, but if you could flesh that out. Yeah, so they just removed that that waitlisting requirement. So if before you could only have three people reading the book at a time, now you could have 30 or 300 or 1,000 people reading the book at the same time. So is this an indefinite thing? Was this just for this period of time? Yeah, so they say that it'll, this um, new policy will be in place um, until June 30th or until the pandemic emergency ends, whichever is later. Um, and they are, um, and there still uh, are limited the number of books somebody can check out and, um, and require you to renew them after two weeks if you're still reading them. Now, what legal issues does this bring up? 
Well, so at, at a basic level, copyright law um, reserves to copyright holders, which will be authors or publishers, the right to reproduce books. And so um, a lot of publishers and authors have said this is just not consistent with copyright law. Um, you needed to get permission from us, and you haven't gotten permission. Um, the Internet Archive hasn't been super specific about their legal arguments, but there's a um, doctrine called fair use that allows for certain types of uses of copyrighted works. For example, if I'm, as a journalist, if I'm writing about a book and I want to quote a sentence or two from the book, I can do that without getting uh, permission from the author under fair use. And um, I would guess, I, I haven't actually gotten the Internet Archive to comment to me about what their legal theory is, but I guess they would argue that um, fair use applies in this case. So libraries, have, they've loaned out PDFs and e-books to users before. What makes this policy different? Well, the difference is that it's not with the permission of uh, well, two things. One is it's not, they don't have the permission of the copyright holders. So in many cases, if you check out an ebook from a library, um, what you are doing is uh, you're getting a library, uh, um, an ebook that was created by the publisher specifically for that use, and often the library is paying the publisher, you know, some small amount of money for each checkout. Um, and so that's all kind of within the copyright system. Um, in this case, they're not... Um, paying the publishers anything beyond if they bought the book from the publisher originally, but they're not paying anything beyond that. Um, and in addition to that, as I, as I said before, they are not limiting the number of copies that um, can be checked out. There's another project um, uh, being run by some university libraries that is um, doing the same approach, but they've kept the, um, the limit on the number of copies in place. So they're only lending out as many copies as they have, and they're only lending it to members of their individual university communities. My guest is Timothy B. Lee, he's tech writer for Ars Technica. He wrote a piece called An Online Library is Venturing into Uncharted Legal Waters. Authors, many authors, were not happy about this at all. The Authors Guild put out a lengthy, a blistering statement. I'm going to read part of it. With mean writing incomes of only $20,000 a year prior to the crisis, authors like others are now struggling all the more from canceled book tours and loss of freelance work, income supplementing jobs and speaking engagement, as now they're supposed to swallow this new pill which robs them of their rights to introduce their books to digital formats as many hundreds of middle authors do when their books go out of print and which all but guarantees that the author's incomes and publisher revenues will decline even further. How has the internet library, online library, responded to the authors? Um, so I think they've really uh, emphasized the uh, nature of the pandemic emergency. Um, what they've really pointed out is that um, there's a lot of libraries closed, and so there are a lot of physical books out there on the shelves of libraries all over the country that normally you'd be able to go to your local library and check that book out and read it. Now you're not able to do that. And so they've really positioned this as an alternative to that, that um, largely they're giving people access to books they would have had access to anyway. Uh, absent the pandemic. Um, but they really have not gotten into the, the kind of legal weeds of like, you know, why do they think this is legal under copyright law? Now, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they made a concession that authors can opt out? Yes, that's right. That's another um, limitation. Um, this was true uh, when they were just, when they were limiting the number of copies, and it's um, true now. Uh, so yes, if you're an author um, or a publisher and you really don't like your books being included in this library, I believe you can um, fill out a form or send them an email and request that, that your book be removed. And so when I, when I read that, I thought, don't they kind of um, make the argument for the authors and the publishers because they kind of have to ask for permission? <laughs> Doesn't it mean it's somebody else's? Uh, I, I think you could argue that. I mean, I think the way they would put it is that um, there may be some authors out there who actually like having their books mm -hmm. available that um, 
you know, that, that maybe don't think they're going to lose that many sales, but like, you know, just most authors want their work, work to be read. And so I think they would say that as this is a way of giving authors the option. I mean, the problem is if you could imagine them doing the opposite, where they go around and try to get permission from every author. But it's really difficult, especially if you have a million books. It would take a long time and take a lot of resources to do that. Um, so they're kind of flipping it around and um, having the authors you know, contact them, which, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that authors and publishers uh, don't particularly, don't really think that's sufficient in many cases. My guest is Timothy Lee. His piece is called An Online Library is Venturing into Uncharted Legal Waters. Now, the legal waters have been tested here before when Google decided it was going to just make all books available. What happened in 2005 with Google? Can you give us an overview of, of what happened with that case? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's, there were kind of two phases to the Google case. Um, Google's initial plan was, you know, they're a search company, and so you can search the web using their tools, and they wanted to do the same thing with books. They wanted to build, build a book search engine where if you wanted to search not just the title of the book but the text inside the book, um, you'd be able to go to Google and do that. And so they started scanning books the same way that they you know, scraped the contents of web pages and started building a massive database of uh, of book pages, and um, but they weren't offering the full text of the books to the public. All they would offer is you could search, and then they would show uh, a small snippet, um, you know, a, a couple of sentences from the book in the search results. Um, but the authors and publishers groups, the Authors Guild and the American Association of Publishers, um, were not happy about that, and they sued Google. And there was this big lawsuit that stretched out for years and years. Um, and what happened was they ended up uh, reaching a possible settlement where it was a class action, so it, um, it, uh, the plaintiffs represented all publishers and, and uh, authors in a, a pretty broad category. And they reached a settlement where Google would have gotten permission to begin uh, offering books to the public in exchange for paying um, certain royalties to people. Um, and that would have created uh, an even more ambitious version of the, the library that the Internet Archive is now trying to um, create. Uh, however, it was um, nixed by a judge who felt that, um, among other problems, that this would essentially make Google a monopoly because Google would have the permission to do this, but nobody else would, would be able to. This whole thing reminds me of when music, digital music, started to be shared. Is this parallel at all? Uh, well, I, I think that's probably not a, a, a comparison that you'd want the internet, that the internet archive would want to draw. <laughs> I mean, there, there has, I mean, if you go on file sharing networks, there definitely are people that, that you know, scan bootleg copies of popular books and share them online. Um, I think that the internet archive and other libraries that have, ex, that have experimented with this kind of book scanning have taken steps to kind of um, make themselves seem more legitimate. So, um, you know, the internet archive does still limit uh, put in technological measures in place so you can't just download the book and keep it. Um, there's digital rights management software that tries to prevent you from um, keeping a copy beyond a two-year oh, uh, two limitation. So you're not, you're not getting permanent copies of the book. You're, you're theoretically, you're lending them out. Of course, sometimes those measures can be circumvented. And, and as you said before, like publishers and authors say, well, that's still, you know, that still seems like copyright infringement. But I think they're at least trying to stay on the right side of the, the, the law. The name of the piece is An Online Library is Venturing into Uncharted Legal Waters. It's by Timothy Lee. Timothy, thanks for sharing your reporting with us. Thank you for having me on. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. 
Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.